0: Host, Sipora Gerson Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and certified yoga therapist in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm also a mom of two kids. I don't know if I've shared that before, um, but I'm, you know, I like to describe myself as a mom, a yogi. Um, I'm a vegetarian. Um, I There's a lot of different things that that I could share about me, um, but most of all, I, I feel like I'm a person who just tries to live life on life's terms, which, as we all know, isn't easy at all. Um, for those of you that are new around here, um, I'm I'm really happy that you're here. I appreciate you being here, um, and I just wanted to you know let you know a little bit about the podcast. It's it's really dedicated to promoting and supporting mental health in all stages, from simple awareness to to recovery, and we do that through practical yoga, lifestyle, and spiritual growth. So here we explore. A lot of intersecting places um, between mental health, practical yogic lifestyle tips. And other psychological concepts and ideas that are rooted in Eastern traditions. So I think you'll find a lot of really useful information here, everything from some of the deeper teachings of yoga. Um, We talk about meditation, mindfulness, holistic lifestyle, nutrition, anything that can help support a person who is struggling with a mental health challenge. Now, with that said, um, there's a lot of controversy over what, what we, what we, label like how do we name a mental health challenge I prefer to use mental health challenge versus mental health illness or disease or disorder Um, I think those are a little bit more pejorative and I think challenge just suggests that, that yeah it's a challenge it's a challenge Um, Sometimes there are symptoms. Um, Sometimes there are an absence of symptoms. It's sort of this sort of wave that we ride at times. And then other times it's, it's kind of calm and peaceful. So symptoms oftentimes are transient they're not always they're they're definitely not permanent but they come and go and so some days are going to be better than others and when you live with a mental health challenge it's like any other it's like any other condition you have to learn how to manage it and what works for one person isn't going to work for everyone and so here I like to try to you know just reiterate that Depending on the severity of your symptoms, you might need to be talking to a psychiatrist. You might even need to be on medication. Medication isn't going to work for everybody. But I don't think that we need to rule it out completely. And a lot of the times, yoga isn't the complete end-all answer either. So I really think that when when we're dealing with mental health, we have to look at it from a holistic perspective that maybe it's a combination of several things that you use and and everybody's everybody's way of managing it is going to be different. So I think if you're a person who has a mental health challenge or you live with somebody or you know somebody or you love somebody or you work with somebody who struggles with mental health, I think you're in the right place. I think you're going to get a lot of useful information here. So with that said, I would love to introduce my guest today. His name is Noah Roshetta, and he is the founder and facilitator of the Secular Buddhism podcast. I came across his podcast a couple of years ago because it is so accessible. Um, I really have found that many of the the concepts and teachings that are found um, in the Buddhist tradition are very applicable to modern day living. I think they're very simple when they're explained in a certain way, and I think that they're so easy to integrate. They're very simple, they're very universal. That's really what I love about them. And Noah is such a wonderful facilitator and speaker on this topic. So I reached out to him, and he reached back out to me, and we were able to um, schedule this interview. He is a Buddhist teacher. He's a lay minister and author, as well as the host of the podcast Secular Buddhism. He teaches mindfulness and Buddhist philosophy online and in workshops all over the world. He works with others to make the world a better place as he studies, embodies, and teaches the fundamentals of Buddhist philosophy, integrating Buddhist teachings with modern science, humanism, and humor. He lives in Utah with his wife and three kids. So today, we're going to be talking about the intersection of some of these teachings and how they can help somebody who lives with mental health challenges to live a um, fuller and more um, just peaceful life. So without further ado, um, here is my interview. Well, hi, Noah. Hi, welcome welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here
1: today. Thank you for having me.
0: So could you share with our listeners a little bit about your background? Um, So how did you arrive um, at a place that inspired you to create the Secular Buddhist Podcast and the Foundation for Mindful Living?
1: Okay, sure. Yeah. So it started around 2010 Summer of 2010, I was going through a difficult phase in life. I was on the brink of of a possible failed marriage, moving from one state to another, uh, looking for a job. You know, several things had kind of built up at the at the same time, and I was just looking for peace, I think, and trying to sort things out. And I was in that mindset of. Uh, Of exploration. And I had heard about meditation and, you know, I think everyone kind of knows meditation is one of those things that's supposed to help you be able to have peace during difficult times in life. And uh, I think that was maybe the initial catalyst for me to start looking into what is meditation? Why do people do it? How does it work? And I, I started attending various religious seminars. So at the time I was... You know my my, my background it was uh, being raised LDS Mormon uh, and and Christian. Um, you know I, I, I it wasn't working for me uh, for some reason, and I was I was still looking for for something else. So I started attending religious uh, seminars and a, a world religions uh, seminar that talked about like the the meaning of life as presented from the five major world. Uh, religions, and it goes through each one. And the last module was on on Buddhism. And what stood out to me was the the approach. By the time I got to Buddhism, it was like, well, rather than having answers to these existential questions, uh, Buddhism kind of flips it and says, who wants to know? Or why do you want to know? And that really piqued my my interest and my curiosity, because I was like, well, I kind of wanted the answer. So I thought, well, I want to look into this a little bit more how does this work? Uh, so I started reading up, reading more about Buddhism and reading about mindfulness and started practicing meditation. And the more I learned, the more, uh, peace I started to feel with, with whatever was going on, you know, at the time things like I mentioned, were kind of difficult, but it was okay. And, uh, the more time I spent with it, the more convinced I became that, uh, meditation actually works and, uh, you can have peace and, and contentment and joy amid the chaos that may be going on in life. And that, so it came at the right time. And uh, once I navigated through the whole thing, I was uh, very interested in sharing that with others because people in my inner circle who knew what was going on in family life and my uh, religious uh, transition as well, you know, they they were like, well... Why are you not like, why are you why are you calm and peaceful about everything that's going on? And I was like, well, I've been meditating and I've been learning about these concepts, and uh, I started explaining stuff to them, and that just continued like, well, then what about this? and what about that? so the the ongoing questions and answers got me thinking it would be cool to explain everything I've learned in a format that would be easy for somebody who has no experience or knowledge about buddhism or about mindfulness to learn about what this stuff is and how it works and how you do it and what happens when you do it so that's where the idea for the podcast came about
0: i see and so now i think i i think i heard you mention in one of your episodes that you are an ordained buddhist leader or Did I hear that right on one of your podcast episodes, or am I making stuff up right now? Uh, No, No. you heard that right. (laughs) So uh,
1: several years into that process, I decided to, uh, you know, I I had been doing a lot of self-studying. And after, I want to say, two years of just devouring every book I could get my hands on about Buddhism, I thought, you know, I want to train formally, and I want to learn this. Uh, more, you know, a more structured and formal setting. So I enrolled in a ministry program. It was a two-year program, and I graduated from that earlier this year. So that process allowed me to become uh, an ordained minister and to be able to actually officiate at weddings or things like that. Um, so that was, you know, the goal of that was just to deepen my my personal understanding and my practice, but as a result of that Yeah, I did. I did end up, you know, formally becoming a a minister, a Buddhist minister.
0: I see. Congratulations on that accomplishment. Thank you. So can you define the term secular Buddhism for our listeners?
1: Yes. So uh, early on when I started studying Buddhism, I I kind of mentioned I was going through a faith transition. And at the time I was not interested in in any other ism. You know, I was leaving an ism. And I, I, I felt like the the answer wasn't to find another, another platform to replace the previous platform. You know, along with studying Buddhism and mindfulness, I was studying a lot of secular stuff, science, a lot of the new atheists and their books. So when I the, when I started to approach Buddhism, I was very careful to not. I didn't want to get entangled in a in, in anything dogmatic. And to my surprise, I was finding that. By its nature, it's not dogmatic, but there was a movement within Buddhism where some authors, uh, Stephen Batchelor, uh, is a was a prominent is a prominent author who was a former Buddhist monk, and he wrote a book called "Confessions of a Buddhist Atheist" and another book called "Buddhism Without Beliefs," uh, that was very influential in my understanding of Buddhism, and realizing you can practice it as a psychology as a way of life, as a philosophy and not have any of the religious trappings, you know, none of it had to feel uh, ritualistic or or religious in any way. So I knew early on as I was studying that I I liked the secular approach. And it was important for me to clarify that because in the religious community where where I live, you know, as I was kind of transitioning in in my own faith, I, I had to be very cautious to not make it seem like I'm leaving for another religion. So I would always tell people it's secular Buddhism, it's non-religious Buddhism, so it wouldn't threaten the religion I was still a part of at the time. So that was important for me. And I, I bought the domain name secularbuddhism.com. And, and, and so I wanted to present everything in, in that secular format. Now, over time, you know, especially as I've I've become more involved with Buddhism in general, I've realized that explaining Buddhism through a secular lens is very much like communicating love through one of the love languages, right? It's not to say that this certain way of expressing love is better or more authentic than this other way. You know, if you're familiar with the five love languages, uh, you'll know that there's just different ways of expressing the same thing. And I felt like secular Buddhism is just a voice within Buddhism that expresses the concepts from a more, philosophical standpoint and doesn't isn't concerned with anything that seems religious uh, and there's a th- there's a big demand for that. a lot of people people like me who were disaffected with their former belief system were not interested in, in feeling like they were replacing it or finding something new so the term really appealed to them so that's that's a big part of why I call it secular Buddhism.
0: Well it sounds like it's it's much more inclusive that way and welcoming. You know, that you can sort of be where you are in whatever spiritual, you know, path you're on and still be able to apply some of the concepts to, you know, wherever you are in life. And I think that that is a a thing that people rub up against a lot is this black and white thinking that it either has to be this this or that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that you can't be both. I know I've, you know, I've gotten into conversations with people about that and, you know, have discovered that it just, you know, when there's that, you know, kind of fundamental belief system, it just doesn't feel like a safe place for me to be, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, that idea of, of plurality, I think is so, is so beautiful and I think it it's kind of where we're at today in our in our modern contemporary society you know Mm -hmm. we're all so many different things right yeah So, you know, the goal and vision of this podcast for me is to present ideas, strategies, and solutions to help us face the challenges we all encounter in modern day living based on the teachings and practices of ancient wisdom traditions. And I say that, you know, because I'm a licensed psychotherapist. And so I, you know, work with people who have a variety of of both mental health and physical health challenges. So, What kinds of modern day challenges do you encounter in your own life in which Buddhist teachings have helped you to navigate more effectively?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would say for me, one of the most impactful teachings that that I've encountered in Buddhism is the, the teaching of no self or not self. And the idea behind this teaching is that we have the tendency to identify with elements of ourselves, like our feelings are the labels we give ourselves. And then we start to see that as who we are, rather than than recognizing that there is no permanent you, there's just the you that you are now. You know, it's like the Snickers commercial that says you're not you when you're hungry. Right. Um, <laughs> well, th- the implication of that, which is actually quite profound, is that you can't be the you that's you when you're hungry is not the you that you always are right because as soon as you satisfy that hunger now you're a different you but the satisfied you is also not permanent right because you'll be hungry again so the dilemma with that is that well then which you are you the hungry you or the or the non-hungry you <laughs> but you can extend that out to to almost any other you the tired you the you that's had coffee, the you that hasn't had coffee in the morning, you know? it's like where do where do we draw that line and say, now this is the you that's always you. Um, that teaching was really profound for me because I felt like I was I, I, I had really strong labels that I identified with, for example, uh, being an entrepreneur. I've always had my own business because i I've always felt like that's what I do. I don't. You know, I was raised that way and taught that you don't work for someone else, you work for yourself. And, and that was a big part of who I was. So here I am in my adult life and as an entrepreneur. And in recent years, one of the businesses that I had built up that was that I was really proud of because it had grown so much was facing possible failure. And it was it was hurting me because of the way I identified with my label of being an entrepreneur. So here I was experiencing, um, a threat to my sense of self when in reality it's it's a, a business is failing. So what, you know, but this was me on the line. This is who I am. And through Buddhism, I was able to recognize that that's what I was doing. And the moment I, I kind of severed myself from the label, not necessarily in the sense that I'm not that, but recognizing that's just something I do. That's not who I am. Um, so much of that pain and suffering that I was experiencing with the with the company failing went away. And it's like, well, now it's just a company that's failing, but it's not me that's failing because that's not who I am. I, I would say, and that's carried on to other labels that I carry, being a dad, being a husband, being a whatever I am, uh, It's that's something I do. It's not who I am, and that's been a very powerful way of uh, feeling more uh, allowing myself to feel more contentment and joy with whatever it is I'm going through because my sense of self is never on the line because I'm not any of my labels. Right. So that makes sense.
0: Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. I thank you for clarifying that. It, I think you explained it really eloquently. Um, I know in in yoga we also talk about this idea of the the self. You know, there is this constant sense of self that is part of the you know just this this divine consciousness that we all you know that we're all part of. So we're all drops in this big ocean, and mm-hmm. you know the suffering is often caused by like you were saying these you know all these i you know these things that we identify with and then you know if i identify myself as an entrepreneur then with that comes this belief system of what i think a successful entrepreneur looks like and then that mm-hmm. creates even another layer of suffering because then you're not you're not meeting your own expectations that you have
1: mm-hmm exactly but,
0: but really there you know what does an entrepreneur look like <laughs> you know there are so <laughs> many different it's going to depend on so many different variables and factors so it sounds like it's you know there's this um sort of like shifting the relationship you have to your beliefs about the way the world is supposed to be or supposed to look
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Ah. yeah in fact there was a there was a <laughs> facebook meme going around, and I hope I don't butcher it, but kind of paraphrasing, it says something to the effect of what screws us up the most in life is the picture in our head of how it's supposed to be. Right. And I think there's so much truth to that because there's reality as it is, and then there's the reality that we create, which is the story of how we think it should be. And we do that with with things, with others, right? There's who you are. And then there's who you, who I think you should be. But we do that with ourselves, who, who I am and who I think I should be and who I think you think I should be. We, we really start to muddy the waters there. And rarely do we spend time with just reality as it is. And that, that has been a really fun transition for me to notice that in myself and to, you know, to stop the thinking sometimes and just say, well, is this what is, or is this, or am I, in the conceptual world that I've created, am I in the story that I've created, and trying to pick apart and see if the suffering has to do with reality or does it have to do with my story?
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah. So I I love the quote that you include in the beginning of your book, and the title of the book for our listeners is Secular Buddhism for Western Minds. It's a wonderful book. Um, you can purchase on Amazon and I'm sure on your website as well. In that book, you share one of the Dalai Lama's teachings. And I'm going to quote the Dalai Lama, do not try to use what you learn from Buddhism to be a Buddhist. Use it to be a better whatever you already are. And I've also read somewhere that Buddhism is not necessarily a religion, but a science of the mind. So do you ever encounter resistance from others who believe in more fundamental beliefs about faith and religion? And if so, how do you navigate the resistance and help others to see that these teachings are strategies for lifestyle change?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's a a good question. And I, I love that quote. I share it in the book, but I also share it at the beginning of every one of my podcast episodes. And when I go teach workshops, I share it. Because I think it's really important to remember that, from the Buddhist perspective, the path itself is the goal. So, it's not necessary to become a Buddhist because that's not that's not the goal, right? So, by reminding people, hey, th- you don't have to change. You don't have to change who you are, what you believe. Uh, this is about understanding. Why I think what I think? Why do I say what I what I say? Why do I do what I do? It's, it's, it's very introspective. And sure, I encounter uh, all the time the, the fear that someone may have that their beliefs are being threatened by a new ideology, you know, Buddhism as an ideology that competes with their ideology unless you study Buddhism, you wouldn't know that Buddhism doesn't really compete with other ideologies. It's kind of unique in the sense that a typical spiritual journey or spiritual path is about getting from point A to point B. And whatever point A is and whatever point B is, you know, could be uh, the world and, and heaven, right? And the path to get from the world to heaven is this. And this is the only path and anything that threatens that is dangerous so and it, so it has to do with you know anything that threatens getting to the uh, to the to the place where you want to get to now buddhism comes in and it says well wait a second the buddhist spiritual path isn't about getting from point a to point b it's about enjoying the path it's it's about the path itself so it doesn't necessarily matter where you're going it matters are you enjoying the walk because because you can, not because you have to, like you, you can, you can walk your path, but if, if you decide you're not happy with your path, then look at that and say, why am I not happy with this? You can remain on that path, you know, remain, whatever you are in whatever spiritual tradition you're in, but apply some of these concepts to, to experience more contentment and peace and joy and gratitude and stay on your path. You don't have to be on this path over here. <laughs> When I can explain that to someone, it, it helps them to no longer feel that threat. Because, again, from the Buddhist perspective, the path itself is the goal. And you and you don't need to get someone off of their path. You just need to get them to realize, hey, you're on your path. Why are you on the path? What are you doing? You know, Work with the path that you're on. You don't need to be on any other path. That's your path. So there's no threat there. A- a- another way that I sometimes explain this is, a lot of spiritual traditions have answers to the existential questions. So if you have an answer that you know, that works for you and I have another answer, there's going to be a sense of threat like, well, wait a second, is your answer right or is my answer right? Buddhism doesn't have those answers. Buddhism is concerned uh, with the question. You know, like I mentioned when I went to that presentation, that's what really stood out to me. So someone who's on a, a on a Christian path, for example, like where I live, it's very common to feel like, is this going to be threatening to me? Do those answers uh, compete with my answers? And what they'll find really quickly is it doesn't, because we don't have any answers. You can you can have all your answers. That's fine. We want you to spend time with a question. Why do you? Why do I need to know if there's this or if there's that or whatever the question is? we're about the question, you know, become more familiar with the question and you'll become more familiar with yourself. That's the whole point of, of the Buddhist path. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to compete with any other path.
0: Hmm. You know, and, and I love how you explain that because I, you know, I see that come up a lot in psychotherapy, um, that I, you know, in my practice, I, I work with a lot of clients and patients and, you know, for them, I feel like, oftentimes some of our biggest strengths as human beings is our sense of faith and our sense of spirituality. And that comes up a lot for people, especially when they are faced with a really adverse life event or adverse life circumstances or a sudden change. They really draw upon their faith. And another beautiful thing about psychotherapy and, and, you know, any kind of therapeutic process is the, you know, the expert in the room is the patient or the expert Mm -hmm. is in the room is the client. And so I Mm -hmm. love how this idea of, you know, you're just kind of, well, here's this question, there is no answer and your own, um, you know, path and journey and life experiences will reveal some kind of truth for you at at any stage you're in, and so I think it really allows us to be the experts of our own of our own lives and our stories and our narratives and and our suffering mm-hmm. as well.
1: Exactly, yeah, that's something we're uh, we're continually trying to emphasize as teach, Buddhist teachers are trying to help people understand: you are your 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 greatest teacher, you are your best friend. But unfortunately, you're also your own worst enemy. So it's your own mind that you want to become very intimate and familiar with, because it's your mind that causes you your happiness or your suffering, you know, but but how do we get to that and discover what that is? We can't only you can. (laughs) So that's why it's such it's a very introspective tradition, because it's all about you getting to know you. Right. Not somebody else coming and telling you, here's the deal. Here's what you got to do, you know?
0: Right, right. Yeah, because it's a, then it just gets into into prescriptive, you know? And, and mm-hmm. any kind of, I mean, the one thing about, I think that all of these ancient teachings have in common is the emphasis on, you know, you are your own healer. You are your own guru. You don't have to, you know, search externally for those answers because everything you need is already inside of you. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to talk a little bit about meditation in a minute because I, you know, this question comes up a lot, this, this idea of meditation and then people think that it's just, I can turn my thoughts off. And I tell people, well, the bad news mm-hmm. is, is that, you know, unless you have, you know, no brain activity, that's the only time you're going to be able to turn <laughs> your thoughts off. The good news, though, you know, is that you can learn to change your relationship to your thoughts. And it's not about turning your thoughts off because that's the nature of the mind. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about that before you, I hope, can lead us in a bit of a practice. But first, I just wanted to ask you, are there any particular teachings that you think would be helpful for somebody struggling with a mental health challenge or some kind of chronic health condition?
1: Uh, Yeah, so... One of the teachings I really enjoy, it's called uh, dependent origination, or I like to call it uh, interdependence. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh calls this interbeing. But the idea is that when we can, when we start to understand that all things are interdependent, all things are interconnected, it gives us a lot more power to deal with something. So, for example, in a, in a simple way, this the teaching here is, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about how if you've ever seen a flower and all you've seen is the flower, then you've never actually seen the flower. And the, the idea behind that teaching or behind that thinking is that to see the flower, you would have to see the sun. You'd have to see the, the clouds and the soil, you know, everything that it's taken for that flower to exist the way that it exists then that means that flower is interdependent with all those things. So you see the su- the the flower, and you see the sun, and you see the the rain, and you see the clouds, and you you start to see it all, and you realize, well, that it it takes everything for this one thing to be. But that's no different with anything else. You know, you look at your kitchen table, uh, the desk that you're sitting at, and and what was once just a desk suddenly becomes everything. Like it took everything for this to be here. That teaching has been really powerful when applied to getting introspective with our own thoughts and our emotions and our our feelings and our suffering. There's a teaching, a a Zen teaching I really like about a kid who comes home upset from school because of uh, something that happened at school. He was called a name or something. And his dad picks up a little stick and starts poking him with it. And he's like, what are you doing? And he just keeps poking with it until the kid is just really upset. And he's like, quit doing that. What are you doing? He's like, well, what are you mad at? And the kid says, I'm mad at you for poking me with a stick. And he says, I didn't touch you. It's the stick that's touching you. Why aren't you mad at the stick? He's like, well, that would be silly because you're the one holding the stick. And then he goes on and he's like, well, are you mad at my hand for holding the stick? Or are you mad at my arm for moving the hand? Or are you mad at you know trying to help him realize where do you draw that line? And finally he's like, "Well, I'm just mad at you, your brain, you're the the one controlling everything. He's like, "Well, are you mad at me? Or are you mad at my dad who taught me this lesson?" And so at that point, the you know he realizes, where do I draw this line with you know what if somebody called me something, what caused them to do that? Am I mad at the cause or am I mad at the cause of the cause or the cause of the cause of the cause, right? So this is dependent origination. It's that all natural, all all phenomena have causes and conditions. Nothing exists in and of itself. So when something happens, an experience, an emotion, a feeling, whatever it is, there are causes and conditions and there are causes of the causes, right? This goes on and on and on. And that helps us to start to to ease the, the death grip that we have on things like a, a feeling, right? There's this feeling, and I don't like this feeling, and I'm, and I'm just mad at whatever caused that. But, but rarely do I go further back and realize, well, if I can pinpoint the cause, what's the cause of the cause? You know, at what point do you just let go and say, well, I can't get to the beginning of it all, so there's not a specific thing to be mad at? I don't know if that kind of makes sense.
0: Well, you know, I mean, it absolutely makes sense because most of the time people, you know, you have a symptom arise, whether it's a chronic headache or, you know, if you want to look at more profound mental health pathology, somebody becomes psychotic, they have difficulty differentiating between what's real and what's not real. So whatever the symptom is, we usually become really hyper-focused on that symptom and we develop a profound aversion to it. And, um, a lot of the time in our medical system, you know, we're, we're good at treating the symptoms and not necessarily the root cause, but even that root cause has a cause and that could be a genetic thing that goes back generations, you know, yeah. but are we going to focus on having some sort of revenge on, you know, six generations ago or, you know, where do we want to direct our energy when it comes to just... You know, accepting the circumstances as they are, and moving forward versus, you know, really getting so focused on that cause that we sort mm-hmm. of lose sight of what is what is helpful and what is going yeah. to move us forward. So I think it absolutely helps, yeah,
1: and this is this is one of the areas where meditation really comes in as a tool because what we're trying to accomplish, well, what we're trying to realize is that, there's how you feel, and then there's how you feel about how you feel, right? I, I I can feel discomfort with an emotion I'm experiencing, like anger, for example. But then I can be angry that I'm angry, and that's that's adding a whole new layer of complexity to the emotion. And what a lot of what Buddhism is trying to say is there's nothing wrong with the feeling, the first layer, right? But so much of the suffering we experience is added by us when we have a feeling about the feeling or even right. worse, a feeling about the feeling about the feeling, right? right, right. Um, so, so we practice through meditation to increase our ability to just sit with discomfort, to become comfortable yeah. with discomfort, not to try to change our thoughts, not to try to stop the thoughts, but to watch them, to observe mm-hmm. them. And whatever arises, it, it's just what is. There's no wrong way to feel. There's no wrong way to think because it's just what you're thinking or it's just what you're feeling. It's our aversion to it, you know, Mm. aversion to the unpleasant feelings and clinging or craving of the pleasant feelings. That's what gets us in trouble. I've got to have more of this and less of that. And then we get caught up in this, in this crazy cycle of chasing after things you can't actually have, right? Right. Like the elusive the happiness trap, you know, thinking Mm. if I do this and I avoid that, then I'll be happy and I'll never, I'll never experience anything other than happiness. And that's just not the nature of reality.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people, they, they will say that, you know, they have this feeling like, you know, whether it's social anxiety or they just, this chronic anger and it's no longer about the anger. It's about, the fact that they are so self-critical when they feel the anger because they say, well, I shouldn't be angry or I shouldn't be sad because I have all these wonderful things in my life. Why am I sad and why And so asking the question why is, is already implying that there's something wrong there and just helping people to kind of see your feeling for what it is and this idea of non-identification and that's not who you are. It is a transient sort of, think of it as the weather, you know, here comes, Mm -hmm. here comes some bad weather and it'll rain and then it passes, you know, and then the sky is still the sky. So, yeah, exactly. So speaking of meditation, I would love, love, love to have you lead us um just in some in a brief practice that maybe folks can when they listen to it that's something that's accessible that we can do at any time of the day no matter where where we are.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think the most common form of meditation that's beneficial uh is increasing our ability to just be aware, to be observers. So I, I, can, I can do a quick guided yeah, meditation. Is that'd that be what great. That'd okay. be wonderful. Okay, so if you're listening to this, um, feel free to close your eyes or leave them open, whatever you're comfortable with. Unless, of course, you're driving, don't close your eyes. <laughs> but what we want to practice through, through this experience is increasing our ability to just be aware. You know, m- most often in life, we're making meaning of things. A thought arises, an emotion arises, and we're making meaning of it. Rarely can we sit with something and just observe it. So that's what we're practicing here. So, in the same way that you would be sitting out in a field, watching the clouds go by, there's no uh, there are no misshapen clouds. You just see what's there. This is the non-judgmental approach that we want to take to observing our thoughts and our emotions physical sensations. So we'll start with the senses. Bring awareness to the fact that you're breathing and see if you can notice the physical sensation of breathing. As you breathe in and as you breathe out, see if you can notice what it feels like to breathe. Perhaps you'll notice a, a slight Temperature fluctuation at the tip of your nose with the in-breath versus the out-breath. Or maybe it's the physical sensation you notice of the rising and the fall in the chest or abdomen area as you breathe. And just bring your awareness and your attention to that spot, one of those two spots, and observe as you breathe in and as you breathe out. And as your mind gets carried away in a thought, bring your awareness back to either the tip of the nose or the rise and fall as you breathe in and out. And the practice So no matter how many times we get distracted with thought, we come back to the place of awareness. And now see if you can shift your attention from your breathing to your thoughts. And notice how a thought arises, it lingers, and eventually goes away or gets replaced by another thought. In the same way that clouds arise, they linger and they disappear. And see if you can notice what it feels like to just watch your thoughts. Don't think about the thinking, just observe the thinking. certain thoughts may invoke certain emotions. And just watch that. Observe it. Don't resist. Don't try to change. Don't try to control. Just watch whatever arises. And as you spend time with observing your thoughts and your emotions and your physical sensations you'll notice um, there's less attachment to them. You know, it becomes more about what I feel and less about what I feel about what I feel. More about what um, physical sensation I'm experiencing and less about uh, the meaning I create around that. And that's a simple exercise that you can do. You can take up, you know, you can pause throughout the day. You can do this... uh, when you're walking, when you're washing the dishes, or when you're driving home at any given moment, you can try to shift into that, um, from thinking mode to observing mode and what happens when I'm just the observer and whatever I observe is perfectly fine. There's there's no, there's nothing wrong. There's no wrong way to do this. When you're just the observer, you're just seeing what's there And sometimes it can be as simple as pausing and saying, I'm going to take 10 mindful breaths and close your eyes and just feel the sensation of breathing in and breathing out 10 times. And that, you know, that that can make a big difference to help us shift from that almost incessant thinking, making meaning mode to just, I'm just here and I'm watching and everything's just the way that it is. What happens when I'm just the observer?
0: Hmm. Thank you so much, Noah. I needed that so much right now. You don't even know. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Yeah, and I think you know what's so beautiful about that is that if we do this consistently and and make it an integral practice, then life becomes a meditation. Our lives can absolutely be a meditation and have this meditative quality to them. Absolutely, which is so different from that. Just. D- Dominant cognition, you know, that's always running the show because there's so Mm -hmm. much we miss when we're just in our cognitive functioning, it's just such a one piece of the puzzle. Well, Noah, I am so grateful and appreciative for having the privilege to speak with you today. Can you um, tell us where we can find you and you know, tell us about your website and your podcast and, and your book and all your social media handles? So where can folks find you?
1: Uh, the easiest is just through anything that you search for secular Buddhism. So secularbuddhism.com is my website. If you search for the podcast, it's called Secular Buddhism. You should be able to find that in iTunes or any podcast software. The Facebook group is also just Facebook forward slash Secular Buddhism. Um, and those are those are the three most common areas where uh, I post and share things. Uh, the podcast is roughly... Every week, it's realistically though it's once every couple of weeks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I explore different topics and talk about. I just try to present Buddhist concepts, uh, philosophical concepts, through the secular lens and explain it in a way that makes sense through, you know, what modern psychology and science tell us about how our minds work, and the, and I, I I do this because I I genuinely feel like the key to External peace, world peace, if you would, if you would say, is internal peace. You know, if, if if my only concern with improving the world is is improving myself, or you know, developing a sense of inner calm, then I'm contributing my part to making the world a better place. Is that I'm making myself more calm and more peaceful and and less reactive. And that's what I'm trying to make available to everyone else: the tools and the concepts to help people to arrive at that place of having more inner peace.
0: Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you, Noah, for the work that you are contributing to the world.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah.
0: Well, it was such an honor to speak with you and I'm so appreciative of your time.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. It's it's always fun to be able to talk about this stuff.
0: All right, everyone. Well, that is it for today. I really hope that you enjoyed that interview. I'm really so grateful that you took the time to listen. Please remember that this podcast is not a substitute for treatment from a licensed mental health provider or a doctor. And in the show notes, you'll find several national hotlines that can serve as resources and a departure point for getting help. So if you've been in a spot where you are not quite sure what to do or you're not quite sure who to talk to, you can start with the national hotlines. And there are licensed counselors there available to talk to you. They can provide you with resources in your area. I I know that taking that first step sometimes can be the hardest one, is just picking up the phone and talking to somebody and sort of acknowledging the fact that sh- that, that you might need help that's outside of yourself, right? Because we're not meant to do this alone. And a lot of times we can't do it alone. So please know that help is available. There's no need to suffer in silence. I will be leaving the titles of Noah's books. So if you're interesting, interested in purchasing them, they will be linked. And so you'll be able to check those out. If you liked what you heard today, please, please, please head on over to the iTunes store and leave um, a review or a rating. It really, really helps other people to find the podcast. And not only that, but I just love hearing from you guys. I love hearing your thoughts about what you heard. And I loved um, an opportunity to continue the discussion. If there's something that you'd like to know more about or a topic that you'd like me to present about, you know, feel free to email me. My email is T-Z-I-P-P-O-R-A-H at InnerskyTherapeutics.com. That will also be in the notes. And I'm pretty good about responding pretty quickly. Um, You can also connect with me um, on the various social media platforms, Instagram. I'm at, at Ancient Tools for Modern Living. And on Facebook, Ancient Tools for Modern Living, the podcast, has its own Facebook page. So that is all for today. Um, I look forward to sharing the next episode with you. And until then, remember that you carry your own power to feel peace and light connection to whatever divine source you feel connected to and your own capacity to heal. It's all already inside of you. And I wish you joy in discovering those gifts that you have and sharing them with the world. Namaste.